3: Here they are, the Quiz Kids, and sitting at teacher's desk is an old friend of the Quiz Kids, the sales promotion manager of Miles Laboratory, and today's chief quizzer, Oliver (laughs) Capel.
4: Hello, everyone, and hello, Quiz Kids. You know, last week, your chief quizzer was Fran Allison of Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. And since folks sometimes call me Ollie... I feel right at home following her in the role of quiz master here at Joe Kelly's desk. I know you'll all be glad to hear that Mr. Kelly is feeling much better and has really enjoyed reading the many wonderful letters you listeners have written him. He's probably listening in right now himself. So, quiz kids, let's try this first question. How does the emperor penguin, a bird that can't fly, protect its young... From the polar bear. While you're thinking that over, let's have roll call.
1: Pat? I am Patrick Ron Conlon. I'm 14 years old and a 1A at Calumet High School in Chicago.
5: Lonnie? I'm Lonnie Lundy. I'm 15 years old and I'm a sophomore at Maine Township High School in Park
4: Ridge, Illinois. Mike?
0: I'm Mike Mall. I'm 13 years old and in the eighth grade at the University
2: of Chicago Laboratory School.
4: On the distaff side, Betty?
2: I'm Betty Sathenoff, I'm 14 years old, and I'm a freshman at Marshall High School.
4: And Melvin?
2: I'm Melvin Miles, and I'm 7 years old, and I'm at 3B at North Park School, Chicago, Illinois.
4: Well, it's dark and rainy in Chicago today, but you kids look bright and sunny. Uh, Folks on the way in here, I told the kids that before the show is over, I let them ask me some questions, so I think they're laying for me. But, never mind, let's get to that first question. How does the emperor penguin, a bird who can't fly, protect its young from the polar bear? Mike?
0: Well, do you mean actually uh, it's young after they're hatched from the egg, or do you mean the egg itself?
4: Well, both. (laughs) Either one.
0: Well, uh, doesn't the emperor penguin live in a kind of tunnel under the
4: snow? Uh, Yes, he does. But that isn't the answer I want you to give me. You're getting very literal here now. Uh, think, think of a different angle It's a trick question Yes, it's a trick question How does this emperor penguin A bird who can't fly Protect its young from the polar bear? Lonnie? Penguins live at the South Pole And polar bears live at the North Pole Bada boy <laughs> uh, That was a tricky one, wasn't it? Well Anyway, we're <laughs> off in a cloud of dust. Let's, let's try this next one about naval battles. See if you can tell me who won on the following bays. Try to get two out of three. Mobile Bay. Mobile Bay. Naval Battle. Who won? Pat?
1: Well, I think that was in the Civil War, if it I'm was? not mistaken. And I think that was the uh, North that won that, the Union Army.
4: But who I was, who was the commander?
1: Well, I uh, don't exactly remember who the commander was. Yeah. It was a sea battle, I believe.
4: It was. It with was the a the Monitor
1: sea. and the Merrimack. No.
4: What are I you think... going to say, Mike?
1: No, I thought it was something else. I thought <laughs> it was another battle.
4: Admiral Farragut was the name <laughs> oh. that I wanted you to give me. All right. Massachusetts Bay. How about that? Who won there? Battle of Massachusetts Bay. Lonnie? Well, wasn't that the Boston Tea Party? No. No no there's two very famous ships pat
1: i think that would be uh in the revolutionary war i think john paul jones won there didn't he I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you it was the war of 1812 does that help war of 1812.
4: oh my you know those ships so well, <laughs> well i'm
5: not sure was that the monitor and the merrimack
4: oh. <laughs> oh my it was the constitution and the Guerriere. oh yeah that was commander hull was his name Well, now, let's see if you can get the third one. Put-in-Bay. Put-in-Bay. That's really a little harder. Do you know where Put-in-Bay is? Uh, Lonnie? Well, it's
5: up around the Great Lakes
4: someplace. Yes, it's the southwest part of Lake Erie. Now, who was the commander there? Very famous battle of Lake Erie. Hmm, Pat?
1: Couldn't that be uh, Perry?
4: Perry, yes, another Oliver. Well, that's it. (laughs) Well, here's a quickie for you now. If three, three men named Misha, Joshua, and Tasha got into a conversation, what subject would you expect them to discuss? Betty?
2: Well, they'd be talking about the violin. About the violin. Playing.
4: Well, all right. Now, who are they? Uh, tell me. Well,
2: uh, Misha Elman, Yasha yeah. Heifetz, and who's the other one? Tasha? Uh, let's see. I don't know that last name.
4: Does anyone else know Tasha?
2: <laughs>
4: T-O-S-C-H-A? Tasha Seidel. That's the group. And quite a mouthful, too. You know, we often use little sayings to sum up a situation. Now, here are a few that you kids have probably used many times. But let's see if you know what story they come from. The course of true love never did run smooth. What story, Lonnie?
5: Well, it's from something by Shakespeare.
4: Yes, that's right. Let's it's from see, one of that... Shakespeare.
5: I'm not sure which
4: one of them yes yeah, it could be romeo and juliet no mike
0: is that
1: love's labor's lost
4: no no <laughs> but keep on trying ah <laughs> <Matt? laughs>
1: uh, that might be uh, a midsummer's night Dream. that's that? right
4: midsummer night's dream uh lysander said that to hermia okay now this part in unity there is strength melvin
6: wouldn't that be the bundle of sticks that's an Aesop fable?
4: That is correct. Can you tell us that story? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> tell us the story about the bundle of sticks.
6: Well, at one time, there was a father who had uh, uh, a, a lot of sons, and the, the sons were always quar- quarreling, <clears throat> and uh, the father thought that he had to t- teach them that they should uh, like each other and they shouldn't be arguing all the time. So. He uh, asked one of his sons to get a bundle of sticks. And uh, when the son brought the bundle of sticks, the father tied them up and he uh, handed them to each of his sons and he said, can you break them? And naturally, none of them could. And then he uh, uh, took one by one out and they broke it. Oh, they yeah. br- uh, broke all the sticks. And he, the father said, now doesn't that prove to you that when you work together, you will be able to get places? But yeah. if... Uh, you're always quarreling among yourself. Your enemy will just take advantage of that.
3: Mm Mm-hmm,
4: right. So in (laughs) unity, there was strength. Well, that's (laughs) just strength. (laughs) The news reports from Korea are filled with so many unusual cities' names, they can be very confusing. See if you can tell us whether the following cities are north or south of the 38th parallel, and also which of the opposing forces is currently in possession of each city you really have to be up to date on this one two out of three on this first Pyongyang Pyongyang is it north or south of the 38th parallel Mike
0: I think that's north isn't it
4: yes yeah and
0: uh then the Chinese uh red communists would be in possession of it now
4: yes it's it's the capital of North Korea and they are Incheon Lonnie uh Incheon is in south Korea. Yeah. And that's held by the uh, Allied forces. That's correct. And Chuncheon. Now you really have to be up to date (laughs) on that one. Chuncheon, is it north or south? Mike?
0: I think, uh, isn't that one of the towns they're fighting for that uh, is just, uh, they're shifting back and forth?
4: They are, yes. Melvin?
0: I believe
6: that's uh, south.
4: It is south. South Yes, it is south of the parallel. And currently... As of right now, it is in the hands of the United Nations. They recaptured it about two days ago. Hear ye, hear ye. A mythological court is now in session. The prosecuting attorney here, Mr. Greg Donovan, will make the charges against the mythological defendants, and you quiz kids are to be the judges who will hand down the sentences imposed on them. What punishment is in store for each one? All right, Prosecutor Donovan, what is the charge against the first defendant?
3: Your honors, the defendant has violated an injunction of this court. The court permitted the defendant to bring his wife back to earth from the underworld with the stipulation that he would not look back on the return trip. The evidence clearly shows that he violated this stipulation. Your honors, I move that the defendant be found in contempt of court and punished accordingly.
4: We have four hands, but I think Judge Conlon was the first, so all right, in this case, Judge Conlon will pronounce the sentence.
1: Well, uh, that was that uh, Orpheus's wife would go back to uh, Hades and Orpheus would never get her back again. That was of Orpheus and Eurydice, the mythological tale. She left him and he never saw her again. That's right. (laughs) All right, and what is the
3: next defendant charged with, Prosecutor? Your Honors, the defendant is known to be very fond of hunting, which is perfectly legal in this state, of course, but apparently he simply ignores no trespassing signs. Diana and her nymphs have signed a complaint charging the defendant with intruding on their privacy. I think we should make an example of the defendant with a maximum sentence.
4: Well, uh, Judge Lundy is ready to deliver this sentence.
3: Well, I, I don't know the man's name,
4: but he
5: was, he was changed into a tree. Into a what? <laughs> into a tree or a laurel
4: bush or something. Mm, no,
1: Pat? Well, I too don't know the man's name, but I do know that he was changed into a deer and his own honey dogs came and devoured him. I don't remember his name.
4: His uh, name was Action, Oh, But yeah. that's the verdict. Court's adjourn. <laughs> okay. Well, now here's a question on physiology that sounds like it might be fun. I'll give you the scientific term for a bone in the body you are to think of a common expression or quotation that mentions that part of the body. Then you are to give us the quotation, but substitute the medical term in place of the bone mentioned in the phrase. For example, the fibula is a leg bone. So you might say, he didn't have a fibula to stand on. (laughs) See? Now, how about these? Hallux. Hallux. What bone is the halex, H-A-L-L-U-X, no good? Don't know that one. Oh, have to tell you, the halex is a toll. So you might say you you got to be on your halexes these <laughs> days, eh? <laughs> or I stub my halex. All right now, zygomatic, zygomatic. Ooh, isn't that terrible? <laughs> Anyone, any idea? It's uh. Oh, it's a bone below the eye. Hmm? Melvin? Could it be your nose bone? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's... That's pretty dry, but it's the cheekbone. So you'd have to say, turn the other zygomatic, or they were dancing zygomatic to zygomatic, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's one more. Pollux. P-O-L-L-E-X.
1: Pat? Oh, I believe that's an arm bone. I'm not sure.
4: No. No, you're not too far away, but, uh, not an arm bone. Melvin?
6: Well, when you, uh, not too far away, it could be a finger bone, then.
4: It is one special finger.
1: Hmm. Pat? Well, uh, it could be a thumb, and it's when you're talking thumb. about a... Bo- it is a thumb, as a matter of fact. Uh, when you're talking about a boxing fight, you say, uh... Well, on the other hand, you could say that person was all polluxes, you know. Yeah, all Mm -hmm. polluxes.
5: All right. You got one, Lonnie? Well, you could speak of somebody as polluxing a ride. Yes, sure, (laughs) sure. Good. And Betty? All
4: polluxes.
2: Well, uh, if they uh, are good at gardening, they have a green pollux.
4: A green pollux? Why not? Yeah. And he put in his pollux and pulled out a plum, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Today, I'm sure you kids could recognize a singer by just hearing the first few notes of a song that he has popularized. But now I want to see if you can tell me what birds are known by the following songs. Our organist, Helen Westbrook, will play a few notes of each tune sung by a certain bird. Try to get two out of three. Here is the first. Mike? That sounds like the purple finch. That is the purple finch. (laughs) Now, very good. Let's have the second one. Mike? That's the wood thrush. Wood thrush, good for you. Well, you kids seem to be doing pretty well in identifying bird calls from hearing their music, but can any of you imitate any bird calls? Anyone want to try? All right, Mike.
0: Well, I can imitate a morning dove pretty well. Uh,
4: morning dove, all right.
3: Oh, oh,
4: oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> well, that, that sounds like a reasonable facsimile <laughs> to me. <laughs> Oh, my kids, now, like I said a minute ago, I have a question of my own that I'd like to ask you where we let the quiz kids quiz the quiz master. It's based on fact, but you'll have to reason out the answer. Here's the question. Many years ago, I went to school with a person who later became famous. That person was either Pearl Mesta, minister to Luxembourg, Fred Allen... Comedian, Leverett Saltonstall, United States Senator from Massachusetts, Matthew Ridgway, Commander-in-Chief of the UN Forces in Korea, or Michael DeSalle, Price Controller. You are to determine which of these people was my schoolmate. For two minutes, you are to ask me any question you like about myself, but not about this other person that will lead you to the right answer. Each of your questions must call for the answer yes or no. A nice young lady here, Eleanor Salinka, will time you and ring a bell when the two minutes are up. Are you ready? Who wants to start? Pat?
1: Uh, Did you go to a military school?
4: No, I didn't go. I I, I wish the two minutes were up already. (laughs) Melvin?
6: Are you over 30?
4: Am I over 30? You're very kind, Melvin. (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm over 30 years of age. Mike?
2: Are you over 40?
4: Yes, I'm <laughs> over 40. Betty?
2: Well, are you over 50?
4: Yes, yes, I, I'm over 50, but now remember kids, I said we went to school together. I didn't say we were in the same class. That might make a difference. Lonnie? <laughs> uh, did you go to co-educational school? Eleanor, I think it's time to ring the bell. <laughs> uh, that's a very shrewd question, Lonnie. No, it was not coeducational. Uh, Melvin, I'm not supposed to help, but why don't you try to find out where I went to school? You might ask did I go to school east of, uh, you know, Rocky Mountains <laughs> or someplace? Lonnie? Uh, did you go to school in Massachusetts? <laughs> yes, I went to school in Massachusetts. Uh, Lonnie? Uh, were you on
5: terms with a man who later became a, an important figure in Massachusetts politics?
4: That, I think, is a little offside, Lonnie. It really puts on no, the other too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the bell, Eleanor, Pat. Well, I think, uh, uh from that, because they went to Massachusetts, I'd be inclined to say it was Leverett Saltonstall myself. Well, yeah, but let's not take up
4: time with guessing. I'll (laughs) give you your chance later. Ask all the questions you possibly can, and, uh, because you may get some further clues. Anybody else? Will someone please find Eleanor? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Uh, Melvin? Did you go to school with
6: any uh, military person?
4: Uh, Oh, (laughs) I suppose I went to school with a good many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's five feet tall, she has brown eyes, she has a bell in her hand, I hope. Pat?
1: Uh, well, I guess that wouldn't be it either. <laughs> That's right.
4: <laughs> Ask about me, you know. Ask about me. Yes or no? Can you think of anything else that will lead you to it? No? Mike? Oh, oh Well, I didn't give you many clues, but perhaps you have it anyway. Time is up and that ends your questions. Now I'll ask each of you who you think my schoolmate was and why. Do you care to start, Pat?
1: Well, I hold the same opinion I had before. I think it's Senator Saltonstall.
4: I see. All right. Uh, Mike, what do you say?
1: Well, uh,
0: I guess, yeah, I think it would be uh, Saltonstall, too. You do.
4: Okay. Uh, Are you ready, Melvin, with your answer?
6: Well, let's
2: see. I say Matthew Ridgway.
4: You okay. think Matthew Ridgway. And uh, Betty?
2: Well, I'll agree with uh, Pat and I uh, and Saltonstall.
4: You do. All right. Lonnie, what do you well, say? Well, I've eliminated
5: uh, Master and Ridgway, and since you uh, came from Massachusetts, I'd be inclined to say Saltonstall.
4: I see. Why did you think we eliminated Ridgway? You well, said, did you I, I go to a military, military school? school. It was a high school that we went together, and Melvin is the one that's right. He's Ah. the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back to business, kids. (laughs) Quite a few dentists have been called into the army. Now, why might men in that profession feel pretty much at home in military life? Can you think of any reasons? Why might men in that profession, dentists, feel pretty much at home? This is just a quickie, you know.
5: Lonnie? Well, in the Army, they have
4: drills. They have drills, yeah, sure. Uh, Pat? Well, sometimes the soldiers are down in the mouth. Down in the mouth? Yeah, that's a good one. That's fine, yeah. And, uh, uh, Mike?
0: Well, if they were engineers, they'd have to set up a bridge.
4: Yeah, good, bridge, fine. Pat? They have buck privates, too. Yeah? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Lonnie?
5: Well, in the army you have to, as in dentistry, you have to pay close attention to your uppers or superiors. Yeah,
4: you do, don't you? And uh, they're familiar with Yanks too. We might say that. <laughs> Got one, Melvin?
6: Uh, well, I believe that traveling there, you'd have to uh, take a train. As a rule, that's how they're transporting over there. So, uh, upper and lower, the bunks. Oh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Here's a question that sounds extremely difficult to me. If you wrote out the opening notes of certain symphonies, you would have the initials of another famous composer. What composer's initials would you have if you took the first two notes of the opening bar of Schubert's symphony number nine in C major? Lonnie? Uh, Claude Debussy, C and D. The opening notes are C and D. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> what composer's initials would you have if you took the third and fourth notes of the first theme in Mozart's Symphony Number no. Forty-One in C Major, Lonnie?
5: Well, let's see. You say the third and fourth notes. Third and fourth. Let's note. see. It
4: opens C G
5: A B, so it'd be A B. That'd be Anton Bruckner. Well, that's a good
4: one. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. You thought of another one? Yes, uh, Arnold Bax, a contemporary English composer. Good. How about Alexander Borodin? Yeah, fine. Well, you got two. That's that's wonderful. Uh, You're right. And while we're on the subject of music, Lonnie, I understand that you won some outstanding honors in the State High School Music Competition a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure all our listeners would like to know about it. Folks, we're really proud of Lonnie, He's been named first place winner in both the solo piano and trio divisions for the state of Illinois, in, com- in competition with the most talented high school musicians for the entire state. Lonnie, tell us something about your experience in the competition, was it a rather strenuous day?
5: Well, I would say it was, I had to get up at about four o'clock in the morning, I got home one thirty the next morning.
1: Uh-huh. and. Uh,
5: going down we went down in a little station wagon there were about 12 of us packed into a station wagon with a seating capacity of about six and
4: <laughs> it was
5: uh, rather tricky the contest incidentally was in Peoria which is quite a distance so it wasn't too comfortable coming back we had a bus but uh, for most of the day uh, I was kept pretty busy I had a lot of things scheduled at once besides the piano contest and the trio I had to accompany several of people competing in other divisions and I was kept pretty busy. It was quite an event.
4: (laughs) Well, yours was certainly a wonderful achievement, Lonnie, and congratulations. (laughs) And now that that we've heard about the honors you've won for your playing, Lonnie, I don't think we should let you get away without giving us a sample. Suppose you step over to the piano and play a part of the number you played in winning the competition. Uh, he's he's walking to the piano now by the way what's the title of the number you're going to play ah uh, it's toccata by cottriurian fine let's hear it <laughs> enjoyed that very much. You know, the names that make the headlines one day often fade into oblivion and may rarely be remembered years later. Here are names from way back in the past. Can you tell us why they made headlines? First, why was the name George Stallings in the headlines in the year 1914? Pat?
1: Well, George Stallings, in that year was the manager of the Boston Braves, and, uh, at the um, halfway mark of the National League season, his team was in last place, yeah. but they uh, came back to uh, win the uh, pennant, and not only that, but they knocked off the Athletics in the World Series, and that was a great comeback for them. That's certainly why. <laughs> yeah. And why, why was the name Dave
4: Harron in the headlines in 1911? Mike?
0: Well, uh, that was the date of the first 500-mile uh, <coughs> speedway at uh, Indianapolis, and yes. he was the winner you of that in 1911. He Good. Good,
4: fine. <laughs> I didn't think you'd get that one. Here's your next question, kids, and it's really a puzzle. If you put a synonym for drama and a part of the foot together, you should get the last name of a famous philosophic author. Who is it? Lonnie?
5: Well, the synonym for drama is play, and the part of the foot is tall, so it would be Plato. Plato,
4: that's right. <laughs> well, put together a unit of, of electromotive force and an invisible, odorless, tasteless mixture of gases. What author will you get? Lonnie? Uh, that'd be Volt and Air, Voltaire. Voltaire, right. <laughs> and... If you combine the sounds made by a dove and a contented cat, what will you get? Betty?
2: Well, uh, dove is coo and uh, cat is mew or something like that. I uh, dove but, <laughs> but you have that.
1: Well, that could be James Fenimore or Cooper, or Cooper. Cooper, yes, Cooper, yes.
4: <laughs> Nobody else. And here's a little problem for you kids to figure out. If you were sailing from Rio de Janeiro to New York, and stayed in your cabin, which had only a bed, a chair, lamp, and a wash basin with running water, and you never left the cabin during your voyage, how, according to popular belief, would you be able to determine when the ship had crossed the equator? Oh, I see. Blank expressions. Hmm, Pat?
1: Oh, I think it's something about the water in the wash basin, uh... That's right,
4: goes down the drain. One way it goes counterclockwise and the other with the clock. That's it, Pat. Okay, and there's the bell. Quiz Kids, that means school is over for today. The judges are busy figuring out your report cards, and while they do that, I want to tell our listeners some important news about the Quiz Kids Best Teacher Contest. Dr. Paul A. Whitty and his committee of judges are nearing the end of their work in making their final decision and they promise that they will announce the best teacher of 1951 and the most promising teacher of the year on our Quiz Kids program two weeks from today. That's something we're all looking forward to, and who knows, one of these teachers might be someone from your own community. I think all you Quiz Kids have done well today, and now, let's see, children. Here are your report cards, and they show that as a class, you missed two questions. Individually, Pat was first, Lonnie, second, and Mike, third. That means we'll see you three back in class next Sunday, along with Naomi Cooks, age 12, and Wendy Stocking, age 7. So, until next Sunday, at this same time, this is Oliver Capel dismissing the quiz kids. Goodbye, kids. Bye, Lonnie Capel.
3: (laughs) Listen to the Quiz Kids Coast to Coast every Sunday evening. And also see and hear the Quiz Kids television program on NBC. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is Greg Donovan speaking.